was it 30-some or 38 years? I don't remember. And you've been here. And not everybody's going to be the pastor of this church. But whatever skill and ability God's given you, he's given that to you for a reason and a purpose. And use that. And Luke did that. And in the last verses of his gospel that he writes, we find him giving this version of the Great Commission. Look at Luke 24, and I'm going to read from verse 46. And he, or Jesus, said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Why, what a powerful verse. That short verse is, ye or you are witnesses of these things. As Jesus has given us the commission in verse 47 to go to all nations. He said, now you're witnesses. A witness has a responsibility to speak truth. In a judicial system, in a court system, when a witness is called to the stand, that person takes an oath and they swear to give the truth. I wonder how many people have broken that oath they took when they actually got into the witness stand. But that's what we're supposed to do. And, and the witness is supposed to tell exactly what that person saw or knows of what they witnessed. And today you and I, if you've received Christ as your Savior, we have the awesome responsibility, and it's also an awesome privilege, to be witnesses to what God has done in our lives. And we are to share that with the world. We are to be witnesses. If you were to go over to Acts 1.8, and by the way, Luke wrote the book of Acts also. He wrote two books in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts. And in chapter 1, in verse 8, a verse I referred to in the life study group this morning, but you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. In verse 47 of Luke 24, he says, it's to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The word nations there, when Luke wrote this down, is not a direct reference to a nationality. Rather, it is a reference to people groups. The United Nations tells us there are slightly over 200 countries recognized in the world today. But in the study of anthropology, we know that there are over 7,000 people groups in existence in the world today. That doesn't take into consideration the people groups who have expired long ago and those people groups no longer exist. So you have to go beyond just defining a politically defined country or the borders around a nation like the United States of America or Brazil. You know, Brazil, where Neftali has been before, is an interesting country. Did you know that the country of Brazil is so big, it occupies the over 50% of the land, almost 50% of the landmass in South America. It is one big country. Did you know that the northernmost part of Brazil is closer to Canada than that same spot is to the southernmost part of Brazil, the same country? The northernmost part of Brazil is closer to Canada, the southern border of Canada, than it is to the southernmost edge 
of the country of Brazil. That's how big that country is. But within that country, there are many, many people groups. Did you know that in our own nation, we have many, many people groups? I think I've told you the story before when I was here, but I used to go, and I still go a lot to Newark, New Jersey, and I go over to Patterson, New Jersey, and I speak in a Madison Avenue Baptist church which has a multi-ethnic ministry. And I go up there quite a bit. I was up there this year. And I was speaking this time not at Madison Avenue Baptist Church, but another Spanish church right across the city. And if you've ever flown into Newark, it's an international city. The New York area itself is a huge metropolitan area. And you take not just New York City, but the New Jersey area that's only divided by the Hudson River. And there are just millions and millions of people there. And did you know that there are literally hundreds of languages from the world that are represented in that one area? I was waiting once for my ride to go over to Madison Avenue to speak. And while I was waiting at the airport, had my suitcase, waiting for people to pull up, I saw some people from a particular country in Africa, and their relatives came to receive them. And they were hugging and kissing like we do. And they were just so glad to see their relatives from Africa that arrived. They were speaking their tongue. I could not understand them. I could tell the way they were dressed. I knew they were from Africa. And then on the other side of me, there were some people from Romania, and they had arrived to pick up their visitors from Romania, and they hugged and embraced and rejoiced. And then there was a a family from Korea that got out of their car and embraced their Korean family members that had just got off the plane. After about 10 minutes, I heard somebody talking English. But you know that we are living in a country that we have many people groups. So when we talk about the populace of the United States of America, it's not just people like you in Huntsville, Alabama. We have people from around the world. There are different cultures. There are different races. And I'm going to tell you, take politics. Listen, take politics out of it. Our responsibility as a church is to take the gospel to every one of these people. There's no place for bias or bigoting. Or politics to be domineering the missionary perspective of the church. We are to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Having said that, I did not say that we don't need politics. We have a political system. Next year, if we're still alive, we'll be voting in an election. Or some of you will at least. And we have responsibilities in that area. But we also have a responsibility to be true to God's word and take the gospel all nations. Let me ask you a question. This probably should be directed to the ladies of the church. How many pairs of shoes do you own? It's not in the book of Acts, so okay, don't, don't worry about that, Paula. I'm not going to ask you how many pairs of shoes you have, but how many pairs of shoes do you have? When Luke later joined Paul to take the gospel message around the world, they traveled to a lot of places to take the gospel. We are blessed. We have different pairs of shoes, different. We're just blessed. And in our travel today, we can travel by car and we have different ways of getting around. But in the first century, when the mission program started and it left Jerusalem and went out ultimately around the world, there were two ways of travel to reach these people groups that Jesus talks about in verse 47. You traveled by foot or you traveled by ship. I want to speak to you for just a few moments about how we reach the world beyond the days of sandals and sailing vessels. 
By the year A.D. 300, the Romans had built a network of over 53,000 miles of well-made roads throughout their empire. These roads were built primarily for the purpose of military objectives, for their military to travel quickly and arrive to other destinations, to defend their empire or to enlarge their empire. They were normally roads that were 10 to 12 feet wide, paved by stones. And these, this network of roads today that now accounts for over 53,000 miles are the basis for roads that were established back in those days. They're better paved now, but our modern roads are in Europe and that part of the world were built over a lot of those Roman roads. That highway infrastructure facilitated missionary travels of the first century believers and missionaries. Isn't it amazing that in the sovereignty of God, men, countries, nations, kings, prime ministers, politicians think they are doing something for their own benefit, when behind the scenes God's saying, I'm allowing that. I'm actually directing that because it's going to be used. The 53,000 miles of Roman roads that the Roman Empire built, God's saying, listen here, Caesar, <laughs> you think you're the big boy. You're just doing what I wanted done so we could use these 53,000 miles of roads so future missionaries can travel around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't ever doubt the fact that God is still sovereign today. He's still in control today. And I know we live in a world that seems to be upside down. And we are beset with problems. I'm not, I'm not blind. I know that, that we have problems and difficulties and challenges in our country. But I want you to know God is alive. God's alive and well and he has never lost control. And his will will be done. And so when we look at these roads that were built for military purposes, God's saying they're going to be used for missionary purposes too. And the travel by foot in those days, when Hebrew people back in the first century traveled, if they went from one place to another place that was a lengthy travel road, they would usually travel in groups to have added protection against robbers and also wild beasts. It is said by those who have studied the culture of the day that a day's journey for a couple of individuals or a small group, they could travel up to as many 20 to 30 miles in one day. Now, you say, oh, that's nothing. We drive almost that far just coming to church today. That's the key word, you drove today. But if you really want to know what it's like, just leave your car in the parking lot and walk home after church, all right? And, and let's just see how long it takes you to get there. They could travel 20 to 30 miles, but if they traveled in a large group for safety and protection, and if they were moving from one place to the next, they would usually average 10 miles to a day. That's still a whole lot of miles. The fastest way of travel was by ship. Listen to what Paul had to say when he talks about the challenges of his missionary travels and journeys in 2 Corinthians 11, and he uses the description of travel by ship. Listen to this. He says in verse 25, Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, and danger at sea. He begins to, by saying he was shipwrecked three times, and then he ends those two verses that I just read by saying the danger of the sea. 
The word danger is used eight times in those two verses. The travel for the Apostle Paul in obedience to the Great Commission was not an easy task. It was challenging to say the least. And yet he did exactly what God called and commissioned him to do. Let me give you a little bit of the summary of his travels and what that involved. Paul had three major missionary journeys in his ministry. The first missionary journey, he walked the equivalent of 750 miles to go to all his destinations. And he also traveled by ship the distance of 562 miles. That's a lot of miles. He walked more miles than he traveled in ship. On his second missionary journey, he walked 1,560 plus miles, and his travel by ship also was the equivalent distance of 1,562 miles. On his third missionary journey, he walked 1,750 miles, and he traveled by ship 1,260 miles. On a fourth journey, which was the Council of Jerusalem journey, and we read about that in Acts chapter 15, a pivotal point in the book of Acts, where he brings those legalists together and says, we need to be focusing on the grace of God if we're going to reach the nations. He walked 875 miles, and then on his journey to Rome, he walked 194 miles, but he traveled by ship 1,925 miles. Now, if you've ever had the idea that these first century missionaries and Christians were just little namby-pamby guys, as we see depicted sometimes in movies and on TV, and they didn't even wear pants. They wore cloaks and dresses, for Pete's sake. How can you be a man? Well, let me tell you what. Paul was a man's man. (laughs) He was not no namby-pamby man. He was a man's man. He traveled in all the distances I've just described to you, and we still don't have other journeys that may not be recorded In the book of Acts, he traveled 10,449 miles either with sandals or on sailing vessels. And it wasn't quite like taking the Caribbean cruise on Carnival Cruise Lines. (laughs) It was not a ministry or a task for the faint of heart. It was challenging. It was difficult. And yet he did that. We today are blessed with so many faster ways. This week, one of our missionaries left Chattanooga, Tennessee, and traveled to South America. And just a matter of hours, in the same day, he arrived in the country of Colombia. This week, one of the men on our board of trustees of Global Faith Mission Agency traveled with a team from his church to go over to North Africa, where we have a missionary team, to do a ministry event in these days. And they were there in less than 24 hours, flying from the United States into Europe and then down to North Africa, and they were there in just a matter of hours. I did that same journey four years ago. When I was nine years old, in 1965, our family got into a Chevrolet station wagon in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and my dad had just graduated from Bible college. The service, the graduation service was over on August the 13th, 1965. It was Friday, August the 13th, but it was not a bad luck day. It was the beginning of our missionary journey, and we got in a 61 Chevrolet station wagon, drove to the border with Mexico, and then traveled through the country of Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, 
and ultimately arrived at San Jose, Costa Rica, where my parents enrolled in language school. And that was the beginning of their missionary journey and our missionary journey. It took us 12 days to do that, but we did it in 12 days. Whereas the Apostle Paul had a pair of sandals to walk. That's why I asked, how many pairs of shoes do you have? Either those sandals were made a whole lot better than ours, <laughs> or he also bought different pairs of sandals as he wore them out. And I just suspect that he wore out a lot of sandals for the cause of Christ. What are we willing to endure or to wear out for the cause of Christ? What I've just described to you is the challenge and the difficulty of getting to the nation's that Paul went to, the people groups that he went to in the first century. Now we're in the 21st century. I've just described to you how quickly our people can get to their fields with modern travel. What are we doing with that? It's not just the travel, but the technology we have. The technology we have to take the gospel around the world allows us to do so much more. Are we doing anything with the tools and the instruments that God has made available to us. While there's a big difference between how they got to the foreign field and how we get to the foreign field 2,000 years later, let me just mention to you for a few moments today some of the essential elements that are the same and have not changed in 2,000 years. First of all, you have the role of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven, the disciples did not even know Jesus was about to take an ascension into heaven. They didn't even know it. After his resurrection, they were just so thrilled to have Jesus with them again. And he said, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you'll be witnesses. And he was gone. He ascended to the heavens, to be seated at the right hand of God, where he is still placed there today. He will come back again to rapture the church. And what a blessed day that'll be. But today, even though we don't have sandals to travel to and walk the way he did, or sailing vessels, we can get there a whole lot faster. We still need the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad you have all this technology? Somebody told me, he said, you're going to be on TV today. <laughs> okay, really? Oh, we have technology. We can go around the world. We can do, listen, you can have all the technology in the world, and I'm glad we have it. Our ministry, our missionaries on the field are using it. The Spanish church I'm a part of in Chattanooga, Tennessee, is using that today. That's great. You cannot replace the Holy Spirit with all the technology in the world. And if there's any concern I have for the contemporary church, is one of the things is, are we just relying so much on the new things we have and the gadgets and the gadgets and the technology? Are we relying so much on that that we're not relying on the Holy Spirit? Because that is a fatal mistake. We need the role of the Holy Spirit in our church life here in Huntsville, Alabama, and in our missionary role around the world. The Holy Spirit's involvement in missions is not an option. It is is essential. And we need his presence. We need his power to help us as we fulfill the gospel commission to take the gospel around the world. You see, when we have the boldness of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it can change everything. Simon Peter 
denied Jesus Christ three times that fateful night when the Lord had been arrested. He stood out by the fire while Jesus was going in through an interrogation, a totally unjust trial. And Simon Peter, the one that had stayed close to Jesus, the one that had sworn, I will never, I will never abandon you, he denied Jesus three times that night. And the Bible says he went out, talking about technology, I've got a daughter who just tried to call me from a different time zone. <laughs> so we can even get interrupted. I'm glad I could get rid of that real quick. Uh, where was I? What was I saying when my daughter just tried <laughs> to call me? Oh, Simon Peter. There we, are. there we are. Simon Peter. Simon denied the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. I can only imagine the shame in that man's life. He, he was not a weak man either. He was a man's man. But he had just done what he thought he would never, ever do in his life. Since he had come to know Jesus and he denied Christ three times in a row. He was so ashamed. And that's why the last chapter of the Gospel of John is such an important chapter for us. That even when you've had a monumental failure in your life, aren't you glad there's a Jesus that's willing to forgive and to use you still? And we go from that re- denial of Jesus to just 50 days later, that's how much time lapsed between the two events of the day of Pentecost. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, that same Peter that has denied Jesus and was thoroughly ashamed and embarrassed is now preaching with the power of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people are saved and baptized. That's what the Holy Spirit can do in our missionary program. Thomas is another one of the followers of Jesus. And when he heard the first rumors of the resurrection of Christ, he said, I don't believe it. I do not believe it. Thomas, it's true. Jesus is alive. And he said, you know what? I'll have to see the scars in his hand. And I'll have to touch that wound in his side where the spear pierced him. I saw that. And unless I see that and touch it, I will not believe. He saw and he touched. And the Lord used him just the way he used Simon Peter. And he believed. That same Thomas was used to be a missionary in the first century and went all the way to over what is today, current day, India. And he took the gospel there and he died a martyr sharing the gospel over there. In fact, of those apostles, only John died a natural death. All the rest of them gave their life for the cause of Christ and for getting the gospel around the world. Listen, there are challenges in our missionary ministry, but when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, much can be done and much can be accomplished. Not only is the power of the Holy Spirit essential, but the role of the church is essential in missions. We cannot have a proper mission program without the church. And the objective of the missionary program, once we're over there, is to see a church established. We take the gospel, we evangelize, we disciple, we plant churches, we train national leadership. A month ago, I was in Santiago, Dominican Republic, and I was preaching at a church that I've been to several times many, many years ago, a church that is now 21 years old. It was started by Missionary Initiative. That missionary is no longer there. The church is going strong. 
The missionary did what he was supposed to do. He shared the gospel of Christ. He discipled and mentored new believers, not just him, but his family and, and others. And today, while that missionary is no longer there, that church is thriving and doing well. I sat in that worship service this morning, and, and, and listen, if you've never been around Dominicans, they have a lot of energy. They are one happy group of people. <laughs> we went out to eat afterwards, and it was just one of those, you want to go out and eat? And all of a sudden, there were about 30 people and one of the longest tables I've ever seen in a restaurant. I don't know how they got that many tables in a row in that little place we went to. And they're just laughing and talking. And when Dominicans are talking, if you're not close to it and you hear it from a distance, you think they're arguing or fighting. They're not. They're just loud. <laughs> they have a lot to be happy about. And, and I was there, and I preached at that church. I'd preached at it before, but this church is doing great. Why? Because there was a biblical pattern of biblical missions that was established and followed, and now they are also supporting missionaries. I was down there, and they said, Brother Roy, and they support a missionary through Global Faith that's in South America. A church started by missionary effort is replicating this now and supporting missionaries around the world. We sit down that week and we establish some other strategies and goals and objectives, but they didn't need anybody else. They've got four people on the pastoral staff in that church. They're doing fantastic. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of the church. And we still need the proclamation of God's word. You cannot have a mission program without the proclamation of God's word. And that's what we do today. The Bible says in Acts 13, verses 4 and 5, listen to this. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. And that's what they did through the entire three missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And that's what we do today. Could I say that just as they focused on nations of the world back then, that's what we are to do today. We often get stirred by the images in the village, uh, of the villages in the remote areas in the Amazon jungle or the African jungle. We're drawn naturally because of our sensitivity and our compassionate spirit to help those who have less. And we're drawn to those little villages and they need to be reached. But did you know that in today's world, the majority of the world now lives in urban areas? And if we're, unless we're reaching the cities, we will never reach the world. It was in 2007 that the population of the world flip-flopped. By, up to that point, the majority of the people lived in r- rural areas. Now, the majority of the people of the world live in urban areas. Now, people still live in both areas. We have seen a great... Okay, so technology. My daughter tried to call me now Siri on my phone trying to help me preach. And, <laughs> I said, Siri, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll handle this and you can preach on the way at home this afternoon, all right? Siri's done that for me, too. I think she's got her own outlines. <laughs> and where was I? <laughs> I just interrupted myself. We're talking about the cities of the world. We now have many megacities in the world. A megacity is a city of over 10 million people. Depending on how they're counted, there's somewhere between 37 and 42 megacities in the world today, and they are increasing rapidly. In just a handful of more of years, there'll be around 50 megacities around the world. I remember the first time I was ever in Brazil, and I was in Sao Paulo, and uh, 
the missionaries were, I'd preached in a conference. They were taking me to the airport to fly back to the United States. And they said, we need to stop at a Walmart. They have a Walmart in Brazil. I've never seen such a Walmart in my life. I'm used to Walmarts where I live. I live in Ringgold, Georgia. And Walmart has, I don't know, 40 cash registers and three of them work. That's about the way it works. Have you ever been? Is that... I've never seen so many cash registers in a Walmart in all my life as that Walmart in Sao Paulo, Brazil, close to the international airport. And every one of them were working. (laughs) And they had people coming and going. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I've been in Mexico City many times preaching. And what a city. You cannot help but be stirred by the mass of people in Mexico City. One of the missionaries I met that impacted me with his ministry was a missionary from the country of Argentina working in Mexico City. Chucho had a unique ability to work with youth and children. If you've ever been to Mexico City, they have an extensive subway system, and it is the fastest way to get around. It's also one of the craziest ways to get around in Mexico City. In rush hour, they pack those people on. I mean, sardines have more breathing room than people do in the subway system in Mexico City. It's incredible. When they built the subway system, they they had all these tunnels they built, these networks. And now they have tunnels that have been abandoned for years. That's where they stored equipment and tools. And now some of those tunnels are abandoned. And years ago, as far as 25, 30 years ago, Street kids of Mexico City began to occupy those tunnels and overtake them, and that's where they live. It's their world. They rule. And they will strategically plan to rob and steal from people that get isolated from the larger crowd, and and that's how they make a living. They come out every once in a while to go up to the ground level, and they steal food and whatever they can from unsuspecting victims. Kids that are 12, 13, 15, 16 years of age live there, hundreds of them. Girls get pregnant at the age of 12 and have babies in those tunnels. And Chucho had a desire to reach those people for the gospel of Christ. They're nasty. People abhor them because the children are lawless. They're evil. And Chucho saw their souls instead of dirty kids. He had compassion on the 13-year-old girls that were having babies in the subway system. And so he decided he'd reach them. So he went out, reached to them. They beat him up and robbed him. <laughs> and he left the subway system all beat up and bloody and without any money in his pocket. But he still had the love of God for them in his heart. And he went back. And he got beat up and robbed again. And he finally realized that if he was going to be able to make a connection with them, he would have to allow some hardships to come into his life. So he adjusted his strategy and went back and allowed himself to be caught again by the kids. But this time, in the way he interacted with them, they took him to their obscure little tunnels. And he befriended them. And he began to share the gospel. And boys and girls began to accept Christ as their Savior. And their lives were changed. And one of the common elements we need in our world today, in our churches today, if we're going to reach the world, is to have that love and compassion for those. God may not be sending you to the subway system of Mexico City. 
He may not be sending you to Africa or Asia, but you are still an important part of the missionary program of Friendship Baptist Church. You can pray and you can give. As your pastor has said, you use a system called Faith Promise Giving. That is a way of giving to missions that goes above and beyond your tithes and offerings for the operation of this local church. Your designated Faith Promise Giving is a way of giving in which when this person is given for missions and that person is given for missions and this person is given for mission is brought together collectively, it allows you to support several missionaries and be involved in different places around the world. And you may never learn Portuguese or Spanish or German or French or Chinese or Japanese, but you can take the gospel to all those places through your giving. Paul said to the church of Philippi, he said, you gave once and again into our necessity. And he said, God will bless you for that. And I'm here to tell you, God will bless this church if you decide to give. Last year, I was in a mission conference in Easley, South Carolina, and in a wonderful church there. And uh, this church has been part of our mission program. They support us, my wife and I personally, in our missionary endeavor. And I was there for the mission conference it's about a 2,000 attendants on Sundays in that church. And um, I had the display board up, had the things up, and on the service uh, on the weekend of the conference, um, I noticed that there was a crowd of people around to talk to me on the Saturday night event. And there was a kid, looked about seven years old. He was standing a few feet away, and he wanted to talk. Every time he tried to step up to talk to me, another adult would, not intentionally, they just never noticed him. You know, they'd walk up, hey, Roy, I want to say something, and I want to tell you something, and I want to ask you something. And, and I had people constantly coming by, and that kid, he just stayed there. And I knew he, I figured it out, he wanted to talk with me. So I said, uh, at one point, I finally said, excuse me, I need to talk to my friend here. And I said, come on over here. And he stepped up to me, and he said, I said, my name is Roy Seals. I'm one of the missionaries here. He said, I know. He said, my name is Camden. He said, I'm an usher in this church. <laughs> and he was about seven years old, and he pointed over. They had several doors coming in, and he said, that's my station over there every Sunday. That's where I greet people and hand out brochure, uh, bulletins. And he said, I, my ministry here is I'm a greeter. <laughs> I said, that's great. And he said, tell me about your ministry. So I did. I told him about the ministry. The next day on Sunday morning, they had two services, and I preached in one. And then the second service, I didn't have anything, and they had me doing. And I said, is anybody speaking to your children today about missions? And they said, no. I said, I'll be glad to go. And they said, come on. And there was Camden in that group, and I talked to those boys and girls about missions. Sunday night, the mission conference was concluding. We were getting ready to finish, and Camden was there again with his mom. And he was just waiting as people came up. And I could tell he was wanting to talk to me. And when I had a chance, I said, Camden, come on up, buddy. I said, uh, are you wanting to say bye? He said, well, yeah, but he said, I've got something to do before I say goodbye to you. And he took out his wallet. And he opened it like that. He said, thank you for coming and telling us about your ministry. And he said, I enjoyed hearing about what you're doing. And I had told about a particular ministry we were uh, about to start, this was last year, down in the Yucatan Peninsula. And um, he said, God spoke to me, and he said, uh, he said God, the Lord told me to give you everything in my wallet. <laughs> and he pulled out three $1 bills. 
That's all he had in it. He pulled out those three dollars. He said, this is for you. And my initial reaction was wrong. My initial reaction was to say, no, Camden, you don't have to do that. Other people will give you. You know, he's just a kid. He's only seven years old. And I was ready to say that. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, don't you dare do that. Don't you rob that kid of an opportunity to learn what grace given is all about. And I said, Camden, are you sure? And he said, yes, sir. He said, the Lord told me. He said, I have to give it to you. He said, now take this and use that for that project. <laughs> and I took those three dollars. And the next day I went back to Chattanooga. And on Tuesday I was in my office. And I put those three dollar bills down. I thought about that gift. In 30 days, God had multiplied those three dollars hundreds of times over. And hundreds of boys and girls last year heard the gospel in our VBS programs throughout the Yucatan Peninsula that was spearheaded by a kid that said, I want to give everything in my wallet. He gave $3. Just the way the widow gave just a mite, God can take whatever it is you and I have, whether it's little or a lot, and he can multiply it so his will can be done so that the world can hear about Jesus Christ. Camden's my little buddy, and we'll message each other and talk, and it's a blessing to know that a seven-year-old can be involved in ministry. Amen. God wants to use you in Huntsville, Alabama, to reach a world that now has over 8 billion people, and we can do that if we're willing to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and do whatever he would call us to do. Father, I so thank you for this church.